Coming up next on Ends With Z. Don't forget the true message of the holidays. It's not about perfection and buying the right gift and you know having the perfect house with the perfect decorations. What is the message? It's be kind to people. It's, you know, be generous with people, uh, peace on earth, all that good stuff. Let's be good to each other. So that's the true message. So if you keep telling people that that's the most important thing and they keep that in mind, they might cut themselves some slack. But particularly this year, I mean, this year, people really need to pull back and say, I'm really going to allow this just to be a different kind of Christmas or, or whatever holiday season for all of us. And so to me, it's always three hurdles. It's you've got Thanksgiving, and then you've got Christmas, and then you've got New Year's Eve. And all three of those will usually bring up all kinds of feelings for people. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Ends With Z. This is episode 22. I'm Juan Fernandez, along with Cecile Munoz. And last time we talked about reimagining the holidays, and this week, Cecile, we're going a lot deeper. Yes, because we thought it was important to bring somebody that is an expert and help us guide ourselves through the holidays and certainly the election mm -hmm. and post-election stress, but more importantly, be able to identify the difference between what I'm going to call normal stress, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. and what is not normal stress. Find the signs to help ourselves um, take care of ourselves, but mm -hmm. also be able to identify that in our friends and, and colleagues. Earlier during the pandemic, we've all said uh, we're all in this together. And mm -hmm. this holiday season, we're all really in it together for the first time. We're going to be experiencing a lot of things for the first time, absolutely, aren't we? absolutely, and then having to redefine how we celebrate. Mm -hmm. Do we get to see our families? Mm -hmm. That might be a, a good thing for some people, but for for me and for us, it's not a good thing. But even if I would imagine, and and I'd love to to get uh, John's um, thoughts on this. Even for those people that always dread going home for the holidays, mm -hmm. I would imagine just skipping that ritual might be distressing. Right. Well, with that said, we brought back um, L.A. psychotherapist and author John Silimparis. John, thank you so much for being with us again. Last time was such a joy to have you, and we just can't wait to uh, get into it. Right, Cecile? Absolutely. And I want to say you left a, a little squeezy thing that's called a chill pill. It has gotten great use. And I thank you for that, <laughs> especially these last couple of days. Um, and yes, it was great having you. And we did receive a lot of feedback about mm -hmm. how helpful mm -hmm. your tips were. Um, and so thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me again. Good to be here. So, John, what what can you tell us about um what people normally go through during the holidays, what you have seen in your practice that we can think about and then start thinking about how we can focus on improving or having better tools with which to to handle what the holidays are going to be this year. Well, typically, um, the holidays can be a time of high anxiety mm -hmm. because people create a lot of unrealistic expectations about money and spending and travel mm -hmm. and always needing to look cheerful and happy and all that stuff. And um, people usually don't measure up to that ever. Mm -hmm. You know, they want the holiday decorations to be perfect. They want the dinners to be perfect. Um, and so, you know, they create this thing for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, this year, you know, with COVID uh, and the pandemic, it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to see probably smaller gatherings or mm -hmm. maybe no gatherings mm -hmm. at all. And for many people, that's not going to be the worst thing in the world. You know, I talked about this a few weeks ago with, with the two of you that um, a lot of people have thrived in this COVID situation. Um, most people are not thriving, but some have. And this year, with the holidays being so different, um, people are not going to travel because of the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. They're not going to gather because they're afraid to gather and they don't want to contaminate other people. So they're going to do it virtually and or via Skype or via Zoom. Um, but I think for the most part, it's going to be a difficult holiday season. I don't think it's going to be an easy one. I think people are going to look back at the things that have happened, uh, the losses, the loss of jobs, maybe the loss of property. Some people mm -hmm. are going to experience deaths. Um, so for the most part, um, it's not going to be an easy time. I forgot about the travel factor because for me, I spend the holidays in my home in Arizona, and it's a short four-hour drive, sometimes a little faster if I, if I choose to, to drive fast. But you're right, most people do travel, especially Thanksgiving. It's always the highest travel holiday. And that 
that is going to be, I think, very drastic for a lot of people. I recently took a flight out to see my niece because she technically eloped and got married because she had postponed her wedding. And I'm a seasoned traveler. I bought both seats uh, so that I wouldn't have anybody next to me. I had masks and everything else and a shield. I was really nervous and and I would imagine that anyone who is courageous enough to jump on a plane, they're mm-hmm. still going to to go through a lot of anxiety. And another thing is I have really bad allergies. I, I kept sneezing. The looks that people gave me, and I was wearing a shield and a mask and gloves. And I had a scarf wrapped around my neck to put over my face as well, but I didn't need it. But the look that people gave me, you felt it. It was palpable, the energy that people give each mm-hmm. other of the looks and it's very discomforting it's very stress inducing a simple cough gets that look these days i know mm-hmm. you can clear you can clear out a grocery store by sneezing even though you have a, a mask and and you do feel like you have to apologize that you have to explain to uh, yourself does that also bring more stress to to us i would imagine it does and and finishing off with what i had said before also remember the need to connect mm-hmm. and the need to reconnect to our traditions, especially after eight or nine months of lockdown and and quarantine, um, is important. I mean, our bonds are very tight with Mm -hmm. with our family and friends, and attachments are strong. And without that, uh, I'm just wondering what that's going to be like for people, because our instinct is to connect and to to bond. Mm -hmm. And so doing that virtually seems like it would be less than, obviously, and it wouldn't be as rewarding. But you know what I wanted to say was, um, it's always hard to gauge how much anxiety and depression people are having during this time because it's hard to tell whether is this really somebody that's clinically depressed and clinically uh, with an anxiety disorder or is this because of the circumstances? Is it because of all of those things? I'm actually going through that uh, quite a bit myself. I'm gonna go back to uh, Florida uh, for Christmas and as excited as I am to see my family, there's a little bit of that anxiety that comes with it, where I probably would rather stay here in Los Angeles and, and just be safe and keep my family safe. But there's also that need to see my mom, my nephews, mm-hmm. uh, my sister, and the family. So I guess it just depends. It's going to be on all different kinds of levels, your your, your anxiety levels this, this time around. Yeah, social distancing has been difficult for people since the beginning. Um, luckily, we have these you know, webcam platforms to help us through that. But again, it goes against the grain of the Mm -hmm. human instinct to reach Mm -hmm. out for support and help. And support, you know, via Zoom is fine, but it's not like touch. It's not like hug. So imagine that. No hugging, no touching. And there's tons of studies on, you know, touch deprivation Mm -hmm. that uh, can be serious for people. We're still going through that uh, now. And I've, I've had a chance to meet up with some friends that I haven't seen in a while. And there's that awkward you know, you open the door and they're there at the threshold and you just want to keep your personal space where usually we'd hug each other and, mm-hmm. you know, hold that embrace. I'm so excited to see you. Um, you know, now it's an elbow tap, basically what, what you're doing. And, and there is a little bit of uncomfortable uh, feelings that come with it. We had that, Juan, when yeah. I opened the door. Juan, you were like a brother to me. So yeah. I, I saw you, and you noticed there was a, a second beat before I we we gave each mm-hmm, other a hug. Mm-hmm. And, and I noticed that we hugged longer than we, we normally do. It felt good. It felt really good. <laughs> and we see each other on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And, and for us to, for me to pause for a second of someone that I see as family to me is completely unnatural. And so I think about... Yeah going home in a couple of weeks and I still say home even though I live in LA back home in Arizona it's always home right that's what yes it's always Mm -hmm. home it's where my heart is and I I am what is stressing me out is thinking of how am, am I because of my health underlying health issues how am I going to not run and hug my little nieces and nephews and my great nieces and nephews. That is going to be painful. And then how am I going to explain it to them? Mm -hmm. I haven't seen them in so long. And that, Mm -hmm. honestly, to your point, Juan, is what's making me say, well, maybe I shouldn't go. And then I get Mm -hmm. mad at myself for thinking that. And I know it will really upset my family, and I love them. So I, I, you know, how how do I process that, John? Yeah, I mean, and the dilemma is also that um, maybe in the warmer climates, you can have a little gathering outside. Right. But, you know, on the East Coast, New York, 
where I'm from, you know, it's either you're going to congregate in very, very small groups or not congregate at all. So how do you process that? Great question. Um, in the same way that I think that people have adapted to um, this pandemic since April, and I've seen it through my patients, I think they'll be able to adapt to that. And also remembering that this is temporary. This is not something that's going to be for the rest of our lives, because mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. we're going to be in this position next year. I strongly believe that, but I could be wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of see it like, you know, survival of the fittest. You know, it's not the strongest or the smartest. It's the ones that adapt to change. And this will be a temporary change. You said something earlier that I want to go back to. You said there are people that are thriving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are those people thriving? I think I'm thriving, but maybe I'm just managing, which is why we're so grateful that you're here today. But what are, can you, can you tell us there are perhaps techniques or, or answers, obviously, we're, we're hopeful, of how people thrive? There have been many people that I've talked to who have thrived because, one, they don't have to commute anymore and they can work from home mm-hmm. and be with their families, mm-hmm. so they love that. There are other people that um, just love to be at home and um, uh, enjoy working from home and feel like I feel safer having to be home instead of going outside. Uh, and then there are other people that aren't necessarily the most social people or some people that I've seen because I, I work with people that have OCD who have, you know, germophobia issues and are afraid of, you know, sort of like outside contamination wow. that they're, they're now feeling like now I have permission to stay home. Mm. I don't have to be ridiculed for not going out. So they kind of like to be in this cozy kind of uh, milieu. However, the, the, the downside of that is that they are stuck at mm-hmm. home with their family and their kids and they have to homeschool their kids or they have to monitor their kids. Um, schooling from home. So um, those are the ones that I mentioned that thrived. Other people that thrive too is, I've seen a lot of people with anxiety in the last eight months, but less people with depression because usually with Mm. depression, people who suffer from depression are very, very uh, self-deprecating about the depression and they beat themselves up for being depressed. Mm -hmm. But during the COVID situation, I've seen them say, you know what, we're all in the same boat. There's a lot of solidarity going around. We're all in the same pain. We're all suffering the same pain. Many of us have lost jobs. It's almost like they've been given a free hall pass or somehow they feel a little more comfortable. Like, it's not my fault. It's COVID's fault. And John, how do you differentiate between depression and anxiety if you're having these feelings? Well, depression is typically um, a sense of low mood, a hopelessness, sometimes suicidal thoughts fatigue, Mm -hmm. um, restlessness, irritability. Anxiety is usually excessive worry, um, lots of reactivity, uh, focusing a lot on the future, um, uh, poor sleep, uh, poor appetite. Uh, So it's a little bit different. In the DSM-5, they are two completely different disorders, but both of them are equally debilitating. Oh, yeah. I read somewhere, and maybe I'm quoting it wrong, but it said... it. Anxiety is when you worry about everything, and depression is where you can't care about anything. And right. living with both is, I cannot even imagine right. living with both. I wanted to ask you, as I was thinking about having the tools for myself to identify, is this something that I should worry more about in terms of my behavior, and especially in friends? And I have a, a very dear friend who he is definitely... Um, doing a miraculous job surviving keeping his business going even though the business has to still be shut down because of of covid and keeping his spirits up keeping his employees focused um i honestly don't know how he's managing and i applaud him for the fact that he is managing but i've noticed as of late that or he has shared with me that he sleeps a lot. He finds himself wanting to go to sleep and falls asleep at six or seven in the afternoon and or in the evening and then mm. wakes up a few hours later and then can't sleep. And I've heard it from several people that say, I don't know why I'm so tired. And sometimes I feel really tired and I'm a, not a person that gets tired. And so I thought, is that a potentially an indication of, of something other than just we're mentally exhausted? Yeah, I felt like that earlier this week, too. I just felt tired. One morning I woke up and it was very lethargic. Mm-hmm. So what is that, John? Yeah, that's that's like a, a key flagship um, symptom of depression is fatigue and oversleeping. Mm. Um, and 
See, the key word for me is impairment. If I have these types of symptoms, yet I'm still able to fulfill role obligations right. in my life, I can still take care of mm-hmm. my kids, I can still go to work, and I still function relatively well, then maybe this is a response to the the external circumstances mm-hmm. and that this is going to be transient and it will pass. But if I'm unable to function and I'm sleeping in the you know in the day and I'm up all night or just sleeping too much and not getting stuff done, um, again, failing to fulfill my, my, my daily routines and my ADLs, my mm-hmm. activities of daily living, then we're talking about a, a depression that needs to be addressed. I, because I'm the kind of person, I'm the, the trained analyst that I immediately jump in to say, well, I've got to research this. What does this mean? And I came across a, a definition, which interestingly enough, when I Googled it, I, it was a million <clears throat> definitions, and then I, I pared it down to what I think was appropriate is decompensating. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, mm-hmm. I thought it meant one thing, mm-hmm. but apparently it means when, when the normal. And I'd love, obviously, the your your correct definition, <laughs> but it, it was one from what I distilled. It was when you, the normal tools that you have to mm-hmm. to handle mm-hmm. stressors or anxiety uh, or challenges to you, mm-hmm. when they fail you. Right, and it's, and you start spiraling down. Right, it's a basically a breakdown of your mental health mechanisms, so that your ability to be rational, your ability to self-regulate when you are triggered by something that scares you or something that you're worried about, when those start to break down and you can't handle your emotions, that's basically the beginning of decompensating. Years ago, they used to call it, you know this person had a nervous breakdown, and that's uh, similar okay. to that. Yeah. Are most of us hardwired to to be someone who who would fight against those feelings? Yeah, most of us are. So enjoy your good mental health right. because there's many people that can't. So yeah, your ability to bring the parasympathetic nervous system, mm-hmm. the one that restores the body back to normal once it's enacted, um, for most of us works well. So you get anxious for five minutes or maybe right. an hour and you're mm-hmm. super scared because maybe you almost had a car accident then the body restores itself back to normal and it regulates all the cortisol in your system. But for people like this who begin to decompensate, it could be because they're already pre-wired like that or these events that we've been going through is just too much. So overwhelm is really what gets you into the decompensation mode. And and then I I further read that as one of the, the, one of the pieces that advice that was shared is to, to also they said start monitoring are you not are you sleeping too much are you not eating are you worrying mm-hmm. too much and then it said follow the the biometrics look at the biometrics of your body and I found obviously that fascinating and it said what what are what are you feeling physically and trace it back to the emotion so you mentioned something right now that I think it's how how can we connect that you said the ADL the activities activity. of daily living so I guess if we focus on that, if we can pre- create a, maybe a little mini scale for us, or a little mini picture to, to start right. monitoring. Right. Because I said this to one of my girlfriends who, who she just says, I'm just so tired, I'm so tired. I said, well, you know that that's not normally you. And, and, it, and she mm-hmm. had to refocus to that to say, oh right. gosh, you're right. Right, and so your friend who's oversleeping has strayed a little bit from typical ADLs. Mm-hmm. Um, the basic treatment before you do psychotherapy with somebody and even before you medicate them is you want to get them back in structure. Mm-hmm. And ADLs is I get up at a particular time in the morning and I brush my teeth, I take a shower, I take a walk, I actually eat breakfast, I socialize with mm. people or I connect, I open up the curtains, I go to bed at a normal mm-hmm. time, I don't take naps in between, but if I do, I limit it. So that's what the ADLs are about and it's creating structure. Once you've strayed from that structure, because all of us have structure, yes. once you stray from that, you become much more vulnerable to depressive symptoms and to anxiety symptoms. Are there tips that we can, are there things that we can think about um, as we prepare for the holidays, maybe micro things we can adapt to prepare us for the fact that this is going to be different. I'm thinking that on a normal basis, there would be a million things that I would be doing preparing to go for th- to home for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have every day planned out, yes, I'm one of those that sets completely unrealistic expectations of how beautiful the house is going to look and all those things and then even down to the Saturday before I drive back to LA we're going to put up the Christmas trees and we're going to do all of those things so obviously we're not some of that is not going to happen so are there things that we can be thinking about creating into maybe modified uh, daily 
activities. Yeah. Even pre-COVID years ago, I would tell people the same thing, which is stay realistic about this. Cut yourself some slack and remember that nothing is going to be perfect. And don't forget the true message of the holidays. It's not about perfection and buying the right gift and you know having the perfect house with the perfect decorations what is the message it's be kind to people it's you know be generous with people uh peace on earth all that good stuff let's be good to each other so that's the true message so if you keep telling people that that's the most important thing and they keep that in mind they might cut themselves some slack but particularly this year i mean this year people really need to pull back and say i'm really going to allow this just to be a different kind of christmas or or whatever holiday season for all of us and so to me it's always three hurdles it's you've got thanksgiving and then you've got christmas and then you've got new year's eve and all three of those will usually bring up all kinds of feelings for people things from the past uh, past holidays that were great and now they're not great people that are not with us anymore mm-hmm. so you've got the holiday blues and you've got the holiday stress so the idea is is you must be able to find a way to self-regulate this and see this whole holiday season it's about 60 something days um, in a more realistic way it's an acceptance of it doesn't have to be perfect normally in, in good times um, Cecile and John I enjoy the holidays. I love them, but I'm so glad when I've made it to the other side and it's January 1st and it's like, okay, let's all go back to the regular uh, routine again because there is a lot of stress that comes with the holidays that right. outside of pandemic. So add a pandemic to it and it, it just multiplies so greatly. And this year in particular, we have so much permission, as I said before, because you know, there there aren't a lot of things to be cheerful about. So the pressure to be happy and cheerful, oh my God, it's Christmas, it's Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people don't have a lot of thanks to give right now. A lot of people don't right. have a lot to be excited about and to be happy about or to be grateful for. And I'm saying that that's just okay this year. It's really okay. So maybe we should not think about giving the perfect gift because that is something that occupies our mind. Maybe we should think about how we can be our perfect genuine selves or just our genuine selves because we do have a lot of permission not to have the house the way we normally have it maybe not to travel the way we normally do but just be really open and real and honest with ourselves and with each other and then be there in a really loving compassionate Mm -hmm. way to our friends and family yeah that pressure's off almost yeah the pressure's off, and I would tell families to maybe have a conversation. Everyone get together via Zoom or phone or whatever, and everyone decide or agree that this year maybe we're not going to do gifts just for this year, mm-hmm. uh, or we're going to do gifts that are not over $20, just something small, little tchotchkes or something. And also the same thing with visiting, that if we're going to visit, the visits are going to be short, and maybe we're going to stay at a hotel and not stay in the home, and maybe we'll meet in neutral places when we meet, if we really need to travel. But for the most part, to get together and just decide that, you know, we all love each other, everything's great, everything's fine, but just for this year, we're going to do it a little bit differently and have that conversation, talk to each other about it. I think that's a, a great piece of advice. And it brought to mind what we do in my family because there are so many of us. In my immediate family, there's about 70 people. And then we typically have, which was a very difficult decision for me this time, we're keeping it just to my family. We normally have a lot of friends but for Thanksgiving, but that's not going to happen. But at Christmas, because we celebrate Christmas, we... We take it upon ourselves, those of us who want to exchange gifts, because there's so many of us, do, but no one feels obligated, no one has to do that. But what we do do, I think it's called the white elephant. Yeah, the white elephant gift, I love that. We have the white elephant, and we limit it, I don't don't know, $20, $30. So, and everyone brings it, even the kids. So we end up with, you know, 50, 60 white elephant gifts to exchange, (laughs) and, and that is what everybody looks forward to. Everybody loves that. We have neighbors that say, call us when you're doing the what because we make it so funny. We become yeah. so competitive and everybody throws crazy things in there. You get to steal gifts from other people. Yeah, and we it's put great. And we we put silly things in there. So a white elephant for for people who have never played that game is basically where you choose a particular price point. And everybody brings it wrapped. Nobody knows what it is. And it can be anything. It can be It can be, be a joke gift. It could be a, a serious gift, whatever you like. Yes. And then the rules, I think we always challenge the rules. But the rules, at least the way my family pays it, is 
you can steal the gift twice. Everybody, right. you you have a number that correlates <laughs> to the number of gifts, and everybody draws a number, and then you go That's and order the order the numbers. That's the order you go, right. Right. And then you get to g- steal a gift twice, and mm-hmm. once the gift has been stolen twice, that's it. The person, the third person who ended up with it, that's who, who the owner is. I like to stir things up. I'm the last of seven. I always like to stir the pot. I always put two or three, even though it's just for me, two or three gifts that are much more expensive than what the gifts are. And it's always usually something just for women, like a really nice coach purse or something. Whoa. Just to watch the the, the, the fighting oh and the plotting gosh. and the planning. <laughs> that is so much fun. So maybe doing yeah. something like that. And oh, that's maybe, and maybe a simplification of a tradition like this, which sometimes can be complicated as we just discussed, could turn out to be one of the most fun Mm -hmm. uh, and most memorable holidays Mm -hmm. because people, I always say when you compare, you despair. And I I like that "Mm." when you compare, you despair. Correct. And a lot of people do that every year. And this year they'll do it a lot. Like, oh, remember last year when it was so great and there was snow or there wasn't snow or Mm. we got to do all that. So that's another thing that the families could get together with is try not to compare this year or any year for that matter, but especially this year to other ones where... You know, this past uh, loved one is not here anymore. And really look forward to how we can make this one a memorable one. How, how can we make this one special? I think a lot of people, a lot of couples will find hopefully great relief in knowing that this year they don't have to outdo next year. Because that's I know right. that's stressful for people mm-hmm. in a marriage or, or in a committed relationship. Right. Or which family to go to, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it isn't just the money. It's I always overextend myself. Mm-hmm. I have to go spend three days here, then three days mm-hmm. there, then four days there. So this year, as Juan just said, it's there's no pressure. Everyone mm-hmm. understands that we cannot do this this year. So let's not mope over it. Let's try to make the best of it. I started reading the 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 tells, the suggestions, or the the guide when I was reading about decompensating and and what are the things to look for. I've got to tell you, I feel like that old story of three men in a boat. I started reading the list, and I have like ten of the things on there, and then I had to talk myself down and say, well, maybe it's because I'm just dealing with all the stress, and the, and the, and the things were excessively scratching your skin. You know, always clenching my your 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 jaw, not sleeping, not eating, and then I had to calm myself down and say, okay, I I don't think I have a serious condition. I think that there's moments of high stress or high anxiety that I react to. And but to your point of, we have the mechanism still to to do your four uh, four eight. Four eight seven. I think I have oh, the, the four seven yes, eight. Four breathing. seven eight. Yeah, I, course, I, I yeah. increase them, and they were so helpful. Yeah. And I go to that, and then I calm down. Right. But I, I think always keeping in mind, keeping yourself in check, and then giving yourself that that hall pass and that permission that yeah. this year is different. And depression can be tricky sometimes because depression is not always what people think it is, which is where I can't get out of bed. I always feel hopeless about mm-hmm. things. I think about suicide. I don't care about anything. Sometimes depression can be extreme irritability. It can be lashing mm-hmm. out at people. Mm-hmm. It can be impatience. Mm-hmm. It can be all kinds of things, uh, looking at things negatively. So I think that there are many people out there who don't realize that they have a mild form of depression. So you have a major depressive disorder, and then you have a milder um, diagnosis called dysthymia, which is something that you could have for a couple of years, but it's a low-level anxiety that sometimes floats uh, below the radar. And some it's people, dysthymia? Dysthymia. Dysthymia. Yeah, and people don't realize that they have it, and it needs to be treated as well. So having that awareness, that education, and knowing too that anxiety symptoms can also be symptoms mm-hmm. that you don't notice uh, are important to pay attention. Is to. dysthymia a lower level of depression? It is. It is. It's a. It's a. It's a weaker, uh, less intense version of depression. But you can be diagnosed with it. Yeah. So if you have relatives that may be, you know, exhibiting some of these these symptoms, I mean, how how do you approach them to? To hopefully help them a little bit. Well, as you as you as Cecile noticed with her friend, yeah. if you start to see behavioral changes, like they're sleeping too mm-hmm. much and not going out and isolating a lot and stuff like that, then you can make the suggestion that maybe just maybe you know that you've had this for six months plus, mm-hmm. um, and you're not eating well, and I see you sort of like you know a little bit unmotivated, or you you know that that spark in you is gone. Uh, it's it's good to, to talk about it. Now, a lot of people will stigmatize it and say, no, 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 I'm fine. I don't want to be labeled as anything like that. But 
the beginning of that conversation for many people is an eye-opening one because that can it be sure treated. Is. Mm. How any suggestions of how we can present that to someone we're concerned about in a loving way because there is so much negative uh, stigma associated to it, especially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say, in certain communities and certain ethnicities. Uh, I know that we talked about that before, but uh, how would I say that to someone? To, say, to Basically, my end goal is to say, I think maybe talking to somebody that'll help you that is not a close yeah. personal friend where you don't mm-hmm. feel you have to be brave and, and put on that right. good good for face. How do I say that? Or even if you want to preempt getting to maybe you should talk to a therapist, starting with something sensitive like, I know it's been a rough year for you. Mm-hmm. Or I know you're going through a tough time, but I just want you to know that I'm I'm, I've, I'm a little concerned because I see that this has been different in your life and I see that you haven't been yourself or I haven't seen you as yourself. You know, no judgment, but I was just wondering about that. So even before you mentioned the psychotherapist mm-hmm. or the, the getting help thing or mental health thing and even not calling it mental health, uh, a mental health issue, just noticing that you see some mm-hmm. changes. Is it enough, John, to say, hey, if you if you need to talk to somebody, I'm here, call me? Yeah, that would be nice too because mm-hmm. you're, you're not saying depression. You're not saying you should go talk to a professional. You're not saying I think you should be on medication, Mm -hmm. which is also something for people to consider too when they're severely uh, impaired by it. So yeah, I think a nice concern with that. I think most of the time, you know, uh, another example is saying something like, you know, Cecile, you you look a little worried today. Is there anything that I can do? Something Mm, like that. that. Like I'm seeing that you're concerned. You're a little bit different. You're not yourself. And that's a good friend. That's yes. a good person in your life. And, and yeah. I want to, I'm asking this for, for two reasons, because, and uh, Sean, our executive producer, brought this to mind, and it's interesting. I cannot believe I didn't think about it myself. And after he said it, I, I thought about it while I kept a very calm face, mm-hmm. and I thought, you didn't think about it, Cecile, because you pushed this away. And that is, these holidays are going to be particularly challenging for those of us who have lost someone because of COVID. I know that it's challenging because every year statistically is is true that we somebody will go into the holidays mourning someone that they just mm-hmm. lost. Mm-hmm. But because we have not been able to properly mourn, and I lost my niece um, due to COVID, and I lost her in July, and we were not able to properly mourn. Um, I, I, my sister was extraordinarily strong. And the thought of not, not seeing her at the holidays, I know that I, I packed that away. And so how can we start thinking about that and how can we be there to friends? I mean, the fact that Sean said this to, to me before the, the, before the podcast, I feel it in my body. I feel the thought every time I say something about it. I feel the the, the tense, the tension in my body happening, mm-hmm. and I know how well, how are we going to be happy and loving when that's going to be very much present. Mm-hmm. And a lot us. of people, John, right, pack it away, and just uh, Sean bringing up bringing it up immediately, you know, triggered memories and and and, and worry. It, it snaps you back into reality and thinking, wow, this is a reality I have to deal with. Correct. Yeah, the instinct is always to be stoic. It's just mm-hmm. human nature, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, laugh in the world, laughs mm-hmm. with you, cry, mm-hmm. and you cry alone. Uh, we've made huge strides uh, with mental illness in, in this country and in the world, but mainly this country. But we still have a long, long, long way to go. So most people will want to default into being stoic and saying, you know what, I can't deal with that now. I can't go to the funeral, but I have so many other things to deal with. So I'm not going to think about it. But as you just described, it is there, and the body needs mm-hmm. to grieve. The mind needs to grieve. So the only thing we can do now is to grieve, but we're going to be grieving in smaller groups. We're going to be grieving via uh, Zoom. You can reach out to uh, grief counselors. But it's mainly trying to connect with friends and family as best you can, if it's by phone, if it's by webcam. But it's important to do that. Any suggestions of how we can address it because I'm thinking now that it would be maybe good for us to bring it up for my sisters and I, my family to bring it up before the holiday, before we get together for, before it hits, before Mm -hmm. it hits, before Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving to say, um, maybe just 
reach out to my sister uh, yeah. alone, say, before we get together, I know we're all going to be happy and hugging, and I know you're going to know the seat that's missing. Because part of what we're going to do, I'm, I'm fortunate that we have land, and we're going to sit outside. It's Arizona. It's probably going to be 80 degrees, so we're going to be out in the fresh air. And to be extra safe, we're going to create seating pods where mm -hmm. you can sit just with your immediate family or those of us who feel comfortable can intermingle. And I know this is what I've been thinking about as we're sitting here talking. I know there she we all are going to notice, but her mother is particularly going to notice, and yeah. her father that that seat is gone. Right? Maybe if I should reach out to her beforehand. I th I think that's a great idea. I always like talking about my talking. So, <laughs> what if the family gets together in a group Zoom? I don't know if your family yes. does that, and all of you have a discussion about how it's going to go. Set up some structure and prepare yourselves. Preempt the shock of how different and weird it's going to be by having the conversation before that. Remember, I, I preach the gospel of communication, so I think anything can be talked about and worked out as long as you do it in an appropriate way. And in this way, you know, you've got some time from now until Thanksgiving because it's you're right, it's going to be weird. And we don't know what the what the long-term effects is going are, are going to be in the future about people not being able to go to funerals and not being able to go to memorials and to collectively grieve. We don't know what that's going to be like. We have no idea. We've never done that. Mm. It's I, first for us. I agree, and, and I think that's a I, – I appreciate the advice because I, I can see us by talking ahead in Zoom so that we can see each other. I think it will allow, like you say, a grieve in, in, in episodes or in smaller groups. I think that will allow yeah. all of us – four months later or however many months later, five months later to to allow ourselves to have another moment to grieve right. together before which we need to do before we get to the holiday. I, I also read when when I was um, diving in before this podcast to to different things that I was reading, one of the suggestions about the things that you feel in your body, it says go along with your body, work with your body, don't work against it. And I'm thinking about it here. Don't try and suppress it and work against it against this thought and this pain and this Correct. grief swim with it but right. invite other people to swim along with you so that we can keep ourselves up together and and allow ourselves to feel those things and hopefully pass and we can jump in again when we need to a great example of that is remember when kobe bryant passed in january mm -hmm. what did we see in front of um the staples center for weeks throngs mm -hmm. and throngs mm -hmm. of people who mm -hmm. don't know each other yeah congregating and talking to each other about how great he was and how much joy he brought to them. So, And even in the old days when people would, would pass in villages, they would all congregate at the square, mm -hmm. the town square. You know, Maybe sometimes the body would be you know, paraded down the street, but they would all congregate. And the way that you grieve is interpersonally with somebody else. You don't grieve by yourself. Right. You grieve with others. That's why that Zoom call with your family members might be the beginning of some grief. Cecile, would would it be appropriate with your family on, on Thanksgiving um, to have a special place at a table for your niece and, and use that dinner as a way to celebrate her life too? Um, probably the first time a lot of family members are going to be coming together is just to take that time and, and celebrate her a little bit and and take that as a moment to collectively grieve a little bit. Would yeah. that be something? I don't know. That is really beautiful. And um, I'm yes, just thinking about it. I think it. it's, I think it's a great it. suggestion. Yeah. I think it would be really beautiful to be grateful that she was in our life. Indeed. We know via history that um, one of the myths of grieving is not to talk about it. Yes. That's a bunch of BS. We know that people grieve by talking about it. Mm. So. If even after you have this preliminary uh, Zoom meeting with everybody, if you can set it, if everyone's comfortable with it, setting apart some time during Thanksgiving to just take an hour or 30 minutes for everyone to come up with a story or, mm -hmm. or a good memory of her, that is going to create a, lo idea, a lot of Cecile. tears, a lot of tears, but, but it's going to be cathartic. And that's a great idea. And yeah. one of my sisters, my sister Mary, is going to jump all over that. And that is mm -hmm. going to give her, I think, a mechanism by which to express her love. Because mm -hmm. for us and my family and me, I need something to do. I need something physical or, or a way to express what I'm feeling versus just sitting and crying and feeling mm -hmm. it. That's why I, my mechanism to deal when my life is very challenged or business is, is stressful or, or business is not where I want it to be, my reaction is I'm going to do something completely 
overtly kind and generous to help somebody that is in a worse place than me to remind myself of how fortunate I am. Even if I may be stressing about how do I survive, I know that I still have mechanisms with which to survive. So I reach out. Usually it's homeless shelters or a needy family or um, shelter pets. Um, but I know my sister will, will jump at that idea. So thank you. That's a yeah. Great idea. Yeah. Beautiful idea. You know, there's a, a, a famous writer, psychologist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who had set up, you know, the stages of, of grieving mm-hmm. and the stages of death. And it's it's denial, anger, bargaining, mm-hmm. accept, uh, depression and acceptance. But the first one is denial. And I'm not saying that if you didn't talk about it, you're in denial. But she did put it there for a reason. You don't want to be shying away from from so much emotion. Uh, as a way to protect others and as a way that maybe it'll just go away. When I was a kid, I had an older brother that passed away and my you know, innocent immigrant parents didn't think of, we should talk collectively as a family or we should send the surviving boys mm-hmm. to therapy and maybe mm-hmm. have somebody to talk to. We didn't do any of that. So it stayed shut in for a long time. And then in my 20s, after I finished college and I came home, I had severe panic attacks mm-hmm. and I'm positive that it was from that. Mm-hmm. It was just unresolved grief that just stayed with me. And I think that we can perhaps your 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 tips and your suggestions and your um, methodologies that you're expressing could also extend. I can see how a family coming together when one family member, more than one family members, is really struggling because he or she may have lost their job or maybe mm-hmm. yeah. are getting ready to lose their home. To be able to create that space of kindness to say we know that and maybe pack an extra basket of food for that person yes. or, or or make all their favorites mm-hmm. even though they may not be just to extend kindness and compassion yeah. to to those people uh, I, I think that that is really the key as we go into these holidays yeah I think I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody uh, Christmas evening uh, or whatever holiday you're in Thanksgiving to not look back and have some kind of loss uh, since March um, whether it's somebody that they lost or a job or a loss of money or something, time, a quarantine, loss. just mm-hmm. some kind of loss. Mm-hmm. So discussing the loss uh, is not taboo. It should not be taboo. Something that came up this week um, within the news cycle, a news story that came up was um, normally every year the rescue mission does a Thanksgiving dinner for homeless families mm-hmm. and, and families who's, who live in hotels or motels. Well, this year they added the the extra... Um, need by many families, as you were just saying, uh, fathers who have lost their jobs, uh, income that's been lost, that there's going to be a lot more families in need of you know, the turkey with all the fixings just to have um, a meal. And that was so overwhelming to hear because normally we see the need is great outside of pandemic, but now just everyday families um, with the roof over their head may not have a Thanksgiving meal on the table. That's right. So maybe those of us who can mm-hmm. and those of us who maybe cannot go see our families or maybe not going to get together, instead of saying, well, since I can't see my family, maybe I'm going to adopt a family this year and either find a family that you can help with a, yeah. a meal or even just a pie or maybe do something as wonderful as the yeah. mission. And, and you can, can safely there. drop off. If you have a family you know or a lot of churches will have a list of families in need mm-hmm. and you can just adopt a family and, and drop off a, mm-hmm. a basket of food. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like the true message of the holidays is really, really going to have to be played out this year because, uh, again, we can't do it the way we'd like to do it, and we won't get ca- hopefully won't get caught up in all those expectations, and maybe it will be a holiday of reaching out and giving to other people. So maybe that'll be the tiny Tim and all of us, right? <laughs> I like uh, that. Maybe we will. We will. I love the when you compare, you despair. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe we shouldn't compare. We shouldn't even compare to what it was last year, let alone to outdoing ourselves because we can't. And let us focus on, we always talk about, oh, we should see each other more. We should talk more. We should be closer. Well, we may not be able to be in the same room, but maybe this holiday is really going to be about sharing how much we love each other, how much we care for each other, the fact that we're grateful for whoever is in your life and that we can bring our really honest, loving, compassionate, slightly frayed, stressed out, slightly depressed, whatever it is, to a group of people, even if the group is just one, mm-hmm. that really care about us. Instead of thinking what's on the table, but think about who's around the table, even if it's through Zoom. 
And I would say that even beyond the holidays, too, to keep that in mind, because we may be in the in the grips of the pandemic for quite some time afterwards Mm -hmm. and to continue to be positive and looking forward, but to be careful with not setting these big ticket New Year's resolutions that can't be fulfilled. Um, to keep it simple, make sure they're measurable, make sure that they're achievable, and to remember that, you know, it's going to be a little while. I mean, we may have a presidential change, so that might help people a little bit, might not help others, uh, but there will be a lot of change come January. Um, but in other ways, the pandemic may continue. And so to stay realistic about mm-hmm. that. So I think that prepare ourselves for more change keep focusing on the tools that we can use to help us from breathing and, and bringing our, our, our <laughs> nerves down to keeping in check with what our bodies are telling us and don't fight against our bodies, but, but work to support them. And above all, make sure that the people you surround yourself with, even if it's through Zoom or a phone call, are people that, that see you, that love you, and that support you. I think that that will always be the way that we get through the difficulties in life as well as the good times in life. Yeah, and I always tell people, um, especially these days, is to try to monitor your emotional reasoning. Emotional mm-hmm. reasoning is when you start thinking with your emotions. Like you, th- you feel unsafe, therefore you think life is unsafe. Okay. Uh, the pandemic feels unsafe or this feels unsafe without using the rational mind. You have to combine the emotional mind and the rational mind together to create what we call wise mind. So monitoring those thoughts and making sure that you're speaking from a realistic, uh, factual place as opposed to an interpretation or an opinion about something. The last time you were here, you you gave us a quote that I, I use a lot, a lot, and I can't believe I'm not thinking of it accurately, so please correct me. I think you said, be able to tell when something is distress, not danger. Am I quoting you right? Or discomfort. Correct. Discomfort, right. not right. danger. Always remember, this is discomfort, not danger. Discomfort, and, not danger. And don't believe everything you think. Um, Mm. You know, we always say don't believe everything you see, but don't believe everything Mm -hmm. you think because if you're stressed out and you are in the overwhelm, which is easy to get into, um, sometimes you're going to get into emotional reasoning and you're not going to have your wise mind uh, close by. You're going to be in emotional mind. And it's good to have emotional mind. Emotional mind protects you. You need Mm -hmm. that. But when emotional mind is the dominant mind, then the rational mind goes out the window, it goes offline, and then we have to find ways to bring that back online. And sometimes the breathing does that, stepping back does that, taking five does that. It's just slowing everything down. And John, looking ahead, um, the new year will be uh, upon us before we know it. Uh, Shortly after that, we're gonna be looking towards March, and then the thought of, oh my gosh, we've been uh, in a pandemic for more than a year. Um, what should people look out for in their own behavior? And what have you seen in your own practice? Like, how, how do you deal with what's the future, with what's coming up? That's been a hard one because in the past, things that have happened, we, we have always been able to say these are isolated incidences and they're not going to last mm-hmm. long. But this is a new norm and it's a new yeah. era. So a therapist or anyone who's helping somebody else can't say, well, look, this is going to end soon. I think it is going to end, but we don't know. So it's really uh, trying to stay in the moment as opposed to not dwelling in future-based thinking and or past-based thinking, which is when we do the comparisons. Um, right. So to future-based thinking beyond today, I know it sounds corny, uh, is going to get us into trouble. It has to be, how am I going to get through today? And I would try not to have them look th- as far ahead as March. I'm talking about getting through today. It's uh, 11:35 right now. Mm-hmm. You need to practice. You need to work on getting through today yeah. before you go. To I bed. used to look at my calendar a lot more. These days, I don't look at it as much. I would always check to see what's happening today, whose birthday is today, whose birthday is coming up this week, and I, I tend not to look at my calendar uh, as much. If it wasn't for people at work who would say, "Happy Friday Eve," or "We made it to Friday," a lot of times I wouldn't know what day of the week it is. That's right. Yeah. So then, right, so then um, looking at what I have to do today and creating that structure about today is all you need to do. Tomorrow morning, I will do tomorrow. That's why the one day at a time, as corny as it is, still Mm -hmm. works very well. Well, I like corny, and to quote one of my favorite movies, I need corny in my life right now. So (laughs) thank you so much for for that advice. And just to to recap, because I think you shared so many wonderful things uh, in this Mm -hmm, podcast mm -hmm. that I want to make sure that First of all, I keep keep them top of mind, and certainly our listeners keep top of mind. 
So if you can recap some of the, the things that we can do to make sure that we're really aware and bringing mindfulness. Okay. Yeah. So the one day at a time is important, but it's also important to slow down and to pace yourself. Mm-hmm. Any holiday season, but particularly this year, except that this year is going to be a little bit different, mm-hmm. pandemic or not. It is what it is. Monitor your emotional reasoning, as I talked about, meaning stay grounded and try to track your catastrophic thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and focus on what you do have control over. You know, we don't have control over over the election after we vote, and we do, you know, we, we have that ability to do that. We don't have control over COVID, but we can do the things that we need to do mm-hmm. to, fit, to stay safe. Um, maintaining a sense of normalcy, even though the holidays will be different, you can still cultivate a makeshift holiday celebration. Think of it as only for this year, it's temporary. And then set realistic expectations regarding obligations, time, and family this year. It will most likely have to be via virtual means, and gatherings will be limited with fewer members, but it's just for this year. All really great advice, and I think one of the things that really is resonating with me is uh, all the the great tips that you give us, and Mm -hmm. to, to not compare so we don't despair, that this is, uh, this is, uh, discomfort, not danger, but also is to allow ourselves to be really emotional and supportive and talk about things, to, to hopefully talk from our wise mind and bring mindfulness to everything that we do. And I think, I hope that if we do those things, these holidays will be really what they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. a time to give thanks for the people in, in our life, a time to give thanks for those of us who are still here mm-hmm. and are able to celebrate a holiday whatever that looks like and a time to really tell each other that we love each other and that we matter and i think that is truly the best gift you can give anyone so uh john thank you for coming thank you for your wisdom and as we look to the future we would love to have you come back Mm -hmm. to help guide us and to help support uh me personally so i thank you for that (laughs) and we got a long way to go still i know before We come out on the other end of all this. That's right. And when we have each other, when we have brilliant people like you there to lovingly and and kindly support us, we can only get to a better place. My biggest takeaway today, John, was one day at a time. And don't worry about the things you can't control, which I tell my mom all the time. So I thank you for, you know, refocusing on that, too, because that's what I'm taking away today. And happy holidays for you and your family. We're grateful for you, John. Thank you. And the same to both of you. And that'll bring us to the end of yet another podcast. Thanks so much for listening to Ends With Z. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe at www.endswithz.com to get the latest updates from us. Email us with questions or show suggestions. We'll be happy to hear from you. Also, follow us on Instagram for tips and insight as well. Until next week, for Cecile Munoz and executive producer Sean Moe, I'm Juan Fernandez. Have a great day because above all else, you matter.